If you don't love pork chops, you've probably never had them cooked to perfection. Or you just don't eat pork, which is completely possible, but not at all what we're talking about today. Let's assume for argument's sake that you don't like pork chops because whenever you eat them, they're overcooked and dry. This is a very common problem, especially with the thin grocery store pork chops that we're all used to. So what can be done? How can we prevent pork chops from becoming dry pieces of particle board that absorb all the moisture out of our mouths? How can we add flavor before we even cook them? How can we make something that seems so mundane the star of any meal? Well, I'm Chef Ben. This is Food in 5, brought to you by HowToNotBurnShit.com, your modern culinary manual. And today, we're talking about everything I know about pork chops. Now, part of the problem with pork chops is the part of the pig that they come from. It is a very lean part of the animal. The less fat, the less flavor, and the more likely to dry out while cooking. There is one bonus, however. Because these muscles don't get a ton of work compared to leg muscles, they're very tender. The fear of pork. The big fear that people have with pork is that if they undercook it, they will get trichinosis. With modern farming and butchering techniques, this isn't actually much of a worry. There's only been one case of trichinosis in Canada since 1980. This happened in 2013, and it was from a homegrown hog, not a commercially produced one. Having said that, I'm not suggesting that you start eating rare pork. What I am saying is that pork doesn't have to be overcooked. It just has to be cooked to a final temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit, or 74 degrees Celsius. By final, I mean the temperature that it comes to after resting. So cooking a pork chop to 165, uh, excuse me, 160 degrees Fahrenheit and letting it rest will bring it up the other 5 degrees without overcooking it. As a bit of a side note, you are much more likely to get trichinosis from undercooked game meat like venison than you are from pork. The most common occurrences in Canada come from bear and walrus meat. A bone to pick. Another problem with pork chops is that they're often sold with their with either a rib bone or a piece of the spine attached. I prefer bone and pork chops, but the meat nearest the bone takes longer to cook and the rest of the chop, uh, than the rest of the chop. So by the time that meat is cooked, the rest is overcooked. This is a problem, especially when people are afraid of undercooked pork. There's some ways to cook the pork chop completely through, including around the bone, and keep the meat tender. But this process can become uh, complicated, like confit, which is when you cook it in fat very slowly, or require special equipment like a sous vide cooker. So what we have to think about is either eating the pork with the meat around the bone a little underdone, or finding a way to keep the meat tender while still cooking it through to around the bone. Brining and marinating. The difference between a marinade and a brine can be kind of hard to pinpoint. The key is that they serve different purposes. We'll get into that in a second, but I think an easy way to think about it is this. A brine is salty, a marinade is acidic. Make sense? A brine is a solution of water and salt. Usually sugar and other flavorings are added as well. I actually talked about this um, in Wednesday's podcast episode. Uh, it was called uh, Guide to Unhealthy Eating. So if you want to know more about like a brine and recipes for one, go check that post out. The traditional purpose of a brine was to preserve meat over a long period of time. Now we don't often use a brine for this anymore because we have fridges and freezers. Today, there are two main reasons to use a brine. The first is to impart flavor through herbs and aromatics. The second purpose is twofold. Brining is a tenderizing effect because the salt breaks down certain muscle filaments. The salt also causes the proteins to absorb and hold more moisture. 
What that means is that brining pork chops makes them more flavorful, more tender, and more juicy. Brined pork chops are more forgiving than unbrined ones as well. They can stand to be a little overcooked and still hold their juiciness and tenderness. This means that the meat around the bone can be cooked without sacrificing the rest of the chop. Marinades. Because marinades, by their nature, are acidic, they break down muscle fibers, making meat more tender. The problem with marinades is that they are slow to penetrate the meat, and this can cause overly acidic exteriors with an untouched interior. Due to the nature of marinades, they are generally suggested for smaller pieces of meat or even cut meat cut into strips. Marinades can absolutely be used for pork. There's no question about it. But for my money, a brine is much more forgiving and the better option. Cooking pork chops. When cooking pork chops, barbecue excluded, I prefer a two-stage cooking process. All that means is I start them in a pan and finish them in an oven or in a liquid like a sauce. Starting them in a pan or a skillet allows me to brown the surface of the pork chops. This adds depth to the flavor of the pork. This also cuts down on my cooking time. Imagine that I have two identical pork chops. I put one directly in the oven. The other I sear on all sides in a pan, and then I put it in the oven. Which one will cook quicker? The seared one will cook quicker, even when taking the time to sear into account. The seared pork chop still takes less time to cook compared to the one that went directly in the oven. Direct heat versus indirect heat. The reasoning behind this little experiment is pretty straightforward. Cooking in a pan on a burner is a direct heat transfer, transfer cooking method, meaning the heat is coming from the element which is in contact with the metal pan which is in contact with the pork chop. This contact allows for a fairly smooth and consistent transfer of heat from the burner through the pan to the pork chop. An oven is an indirect heat source. The heat coming off the elements have to has to travel through the air present in the oven. Air is a terrible conductor of heat. By the time the heat reaches the pork chop, it has lost a lot of its energy and heating ability. So, then why not cook the pork chop fully in the pan? Well, although direct heat is an efficient way to transfer heat energy, it isn't great at evenly distributing... Excuse me, distribute... I can't say it... <laughs> distributing, there we go, that heat throughout the item being cooked. So you can cook a pork chop completely in a pan. Um, it is, however, fairly difficult to get a nice, even cook. I'm just going to read that whole paragraph one more time. I'm sorry. Although direct heat is an efficient way to transfer heat energy, it isn't great at evenly distributing the heat throughout the item being cooked. So you can absolutely cook a pork chop completely in a pan. It is, however, fairly difficult to get a nice even cook on the chop because of the temperature differences um, and because of the fact that the, the heat isn't being evenly distributed. The other problem with completely cooking in a pan is heat management. Imagine that I have a pork chop that's an inch thick that I'm cooking in a pan. There's going to be a very large temperature variance from the part of the chop that is in contact with the pan and the part that is in contact with the air above the pan. Every time I flick the pork chop, there's going to be this heating and cooling cycle. That's not great for the pork chop. Now, an oven, though not really efficient, holds a fairly stable temperature. This means that there will be less of a heat temperature or less of a temperature variance from the top to the bottom of the chop. This makes for a more even cook. And this is why I prefer a two-stage cooking process for pork chops. Put a lid on it. So why not just put a lid on the on the pan? There is the option to put a lid on the pan to create a little oven inside. But this still raises the issue of direct versus indirect heat transfer. The only real way to avoid this is liquid. If I were to add some wine stock, 
cream of mushroom soup, as we're all probably very familiar with, or sauce to the pan. This could balance out the heat. There is the danger, or there is a danger in using liquid this way. If you're using liquid to finish your pork chops, it is important that you don't boil the meat. Boiling will toughen the pork chop and quickly overcook it. Ideally, when finishing your pork chop with a liquid, this would be the process you would follow. Sear the pork chops on all sides, remove them from the pan, drain off any excess fat, add your liquid, bring it to a boil, reduce the heat to low, and add the pork chops back in. Put a lid on the pot and simmer for 5-10 to 10 minutes. This liquid process has the added benefit of a more even distribution of heat. This will cook the meat closest to the bone along with everything else. And as long as you keep the temperature low and you don't overcook the pork, it should remain pretty tender. Grilling is an entirely different ballgame, and one that I unfortunately just don't really have time to get into today. In the spring, I'll do an entire episode about grilling and post uh, and answer any questions that you have. Sauce. Uh, there's one more benefit of the two-stage cooking method. I can develop the, that nice sear on the surface and then add sauce to the pork chops when they go in the oven. The sauce doesn't have to be barbecue sauce. It could be some white wine stock, brandy cream, any number of things. This allows me to develop that deeper flair, flavor that a sear provides while still enjoying my favorite sauce. Conclusion. A well-cooked pork chop is a thing of beauty. It's flavorful, succulent, and delicious. And in all honesty, a really good pork chop beats the hell out of a decent steak any day of the week. Now, I didn't talk much about sauces because it's not really as important as the actual cooking process. But use whatever sauce you like. That's up to you. Now, I know that this is a lot of information, most of which you don't need to really think about too much. But I think it's good to have this somewhere in the back of your mind. Hopefully, it'll help you fall in love with pork chops all over again. So there you have it. That's everything I know about pork chops on this Friday morning. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I'm Chef Ben. This is Food and 5, brought to you by HowToNotBurnShit.com, your modern culinary manual. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Chef Ben Kelly and on Facebook at Ben Kelly Cooks. You can like and subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. You know, all that fancy stuff. Uh, and if you would like the written version of this podcast so you can kind of read it out and take your time with it, go to HowToNotBurnShit.com where you'll find all of the episodes written out. Um, yeah, it's the weekend now. I'll be back on Monday with another great episode of 30 Minutes or Less, and we're going to do some spicy noodles. So I will see you then. I hope that you have a fantastic weekend. I know I'm going to. Talk to you soon.